Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you tonight, Miss Laura? Ooh, I'm wired on caffeine from all the sweet tea I've made today. I had a little <laughs> uh, little uh, memory thing while I was saying, welcome to Teach Me Shock. You would think I would be able to say that now. I, after I know, when you stumbled, I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, it's going to be a long hour. Oh, there's a lot. we get going, it's fine. I know, and there's a lot going on at my house right now, too. Our guys are getting ready to go back to U.K. for their week of exams, and it's always kind of hustle and bustle right here at Showtime, so that's just part of life. We are real people with real lives, too, huh? No, yeah, sometimes a little too real. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. and We won't even expand on that topic. That, that might not be anything anybody wants to hear. <laughs> All right. Tonight, we're going to hopefully finish up the last the last show in this series from uh, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, and that's my new book, and it's coming out this week, uh, and I'm so, so, so excited about it, and tonight we're going to finish up, and this is so funny, Kate, when you were talking to me about, when you said, hey, what are we doing this week on the show, why, why don't you tell them what your reaction when I said, uh, we're going to be talking about imitating single words and short phrases, do you remember what you said? I How is that going to be different from any I, of the other shows we've ever done? <laughs> I thought that's what I said, but I'm not sure you wanted me to repeat that, but apparently you did because you repeated it. <laughs> yeah, and so we're going to give the condensed version of that tonight. But it is really, really important. But let me do the precursor and say, with late talkers, we can't jump right into imitating single words. And lots of parents and lots of therapists make that mistake, too. When a child's not able to imitate anything, there's so many precursors or so many little goals that you should have before you would get to the imitating single words phase. The book explains that, and we've done a whole series of shows <laughs> talking about what all those other prerequisites are. And I wanted to mention, too, that therapy tip of the week this week that I posted on Friday takes a really common toy, a potato head, and all of us who have worked in early intervention, I'm sure, have used that from time to time, and that's one of my go-to toys because toddlers like it so much, and you can just work on so many different goals and so many different targets with that toy. But I, I took that toy and I walked you through the whole levels kind of approach from imitating actions with objects all the way through imitating short phrases. And so I hope by watching that that will help this whole series of shows and this uh, all of this theory look more real like how does it really look what are you supposed to say is this can you accomplish this with a regular in a regular play session with toddlers with a common toy and the answer to all those questions is yes 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 and so therapy tip of the week uh last week the most recent one that i did i think it's the dates 427 uh really shows that and you saw that one kate and you liked that one too didn't you 
that. I liked it very much. I especially liked walk, 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 boom. I've never done that with Potato Head, and I was like, how did I not know to do that? But I didn't, so now I do. Well, and that's a cute verbal routine. That's like a level six thing, what we talked about last week. And it's funny with the potato head because usually I can get some of the pieces to fall off if I crash the Mm -hmm, potato head mm -hmm. hard enough. And it's a cute gag that toddlers really, really like, a cute trick. And they'll often try to do that. Now, sometimes moms get a little upset by that because they say, now he throws the potato head every time we have the pieces on it. (laughs) And I'll say, but did he say boom? That's the goal. Well, and so many times kids just love that slightly aggressive, you know, something smashes, something falls, something crashes. And the minute I saw you do it on Therapy Tip of the Week, I thought, oh, that is a total winner. I will be using that on Monday. (laughs) You're right. I could see where parents would kind of go, oh, you know, that's for some moms that would be a little aggressive, but... Usually they get over it when they see that the kids love it and that they really respond to it. And so often something like that would be effective with a kid who wouldn't necessarily want to play with it in a traditional way and just keep it straight. I mean, we're always looking for some hook, some gag, Mm -hmm. some thing to make it a little more exciting and a little bit more engaging. So many of our kids are not necessarily good players, especially in the beginning. So. For me, if it works, I am not above using it, and I will be using that one because I knew when I saw it, it's a good one. (laughs) Well, I love doing that, and this is the thing. I don't let a kid do it. If he just puts, say, the hat on and the eyes on and he tries to do it, and I can almost always tell because, you know, you see that little gleam in their eyes, like, I'm going to do it. And I say, no, 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 we have to wait. (laughs) He needs all the pieces. And so I try to, if a kid has done that and liked that, I try to really hold that as the reason he has to get through all those things. So don't just let him put one part on, and I know you would never do this. I'm talking to our listeners here. Don't just let him put one part on and then do the walk, 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 boom after every part. That will get old after two or three times, and then you won't have completed the whole you know, bit with all of the pieces. And so make him wait until the end, and uh, you might have to hurry through <laughs> putting yeah. several of those pieces on, but if you make them wait, that really does help build their attention to and extend the time that they'll play with you. And so I think it's a really cute trick. I can't believe you've never talked about that before. I've done that for a long, long time. I think no. it's even on one of the DVDs. But well, oh well, I somehow missed it because when I saw it on that, I was like, oh, I love that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> And I could see kids just loving it. And you, like you said, if you have something that they really like like that, right. even if it's, a, if it's a simple little thing, a lot of times they will stay with it just basically to get to that. The you know, one and, thing at the end. Yeah. Right. And really what we care about is are they engaging? Are they responding? Are they following commands? Are they? But, you know, if that's what they care about it, mm, that's okay. Yeah. You know, and the that- boom part. <laughs> Yeah, and that whole little lesson of delayed gratification, how hard is that lesson to learn? That we wait a little bit and we have to get through all of these things before we get kind of the prize at the end. So I think it's I think it's a key routine. But if you haven't seen that yet, you can find that on my website at teachmetotalk.com 
or on Facebook on teachmetotalk.com's page there. It's uh, probably a couple of posts down. And now that I have that new timeline, I'm always confused. I'm, I'm always trying to look on the left, and now new posts are on the left and the right. Do you know what I'm talking about, Kate, with the no, Facebook uh-uh. timeline thing? Uh-uh. Well, it's a different format. I know you don't, you're not obsessive about Facebook like I am. And now that I'm doing Twitter, I think that's going to be my newest kind of obsession. But anyway, you may have to look for that. And the, to view Therapy Tip of the Week, now I've started putting the clip right on the Facebook page. And so you can click the arrow, the play arrow there, and then watch it from there instead of having to go to the website. So I wanted to mention that. Secondly, uh, Building Verbal Imitation, the last day of the pre-sale is tomorrow, and that is April 30th, and so 2012, and I know we always have a lot of people who say that they can't listen to the most current show if when they just, when they find our show, they have to go back and listen all the way through. So if you were listening to this show on a date that is not around April 30th, 2012, <laughs> the book will no longer be new and it will no longer be on sale. But I did want to mention that really quickly for anyone who's listening live or listens in the next day or two, that if you want to get the special price, and it's about a 10 buck uh, sale, so it's worth going ahead and doing that. So I wanted to mention that. I mentioned Twitter earlier, and teachmetotalk.com is on Twitter. And this afternoon I did a really fun thing. They had a little SLP chat that um, a couple of speech pathologists do one from Canada and one from Barbados, and that was fun, just a a little kind of back-and-forth exchange about, and today's topic was was autism spectrum disorder. So if you do Twitter, you might want to look up that hashtag SLP chat and read that conversation. That was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I've just discovered that. And speaking of the speech pathologist from Barbados, her name is Sharika, and she has just published an online magazine called Easy Speak Magazine, and it's for speech pathologists. But, Kate, I'm sure you're, you'll are you be interested in this, too. And it's okay. an online magazine, and it, it was really cute. And what I liked about it is she not only had things that were so relevant to our jobs, but she had a little section on fashion and on, like, oh. you know, we're not just therapists, we're people, too. So I thought it was really cute. And that link is on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page, too. So I wanted to get her little plug in there. I've developed a little uh, back-and-forth online exchange with her, and so it was um, it's cute. It's certainly worth checking out. So I'll probably just send you that link directly, Kate, so you can be sure to see that. You know me too well, don't you, Laura? I if you don't know. Feed it, I probably <laughs> won't do it. I'm just going to send it to you. Hey, I, I think it's somebody the other day that we've both worked with professionally who's not even on Facebook because I was talking about the provider group on Facebook and she said, "Is uh-huh. that on Facebook?" She said, "I might be the only person in America who's not on Facebook." <laughs> I was like, "Seriously, that's pretty outdated." <laughs> if I'm on it, you know everybody's on it. Well, you have to do Twitter now too. I'm going to really talk you into that. I have a Twitter account. I just don't really do it. I've had one for a long time, but I'm making myself do it now. And it does move faster. It's really, I like it. It's really fun. I had a personal account for a long time where I just kind of followed, you know, crazy celebrity people and thought that was kind of funny whenever I 
you know, was really bored. And, but then I like being able to use it professionally to connect with other therapists from around the world who do what we do. And it's a nice way to exchange information. And I've seen some cool links on there that I don't know that I would have seen otherwise. So I really, really, really like it. So I'm going to be doing that more and more and more. So I will... I'm just trying to catch up on Pinterest, okay? (laughs) I'm about a few things behind you. I mentioned Pinterest. Well, and I I, said something about Pinterest with friends the other night, and nobody had even heard of it. So I thought, wow, I'm really cool that I even know what it is. Your two Laras really keep you up on these things, don't we? Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Your daughter and your friend. So there Mm -hmm. you go. Well, we'll have to talk about Twitter later, too, because that, that was really fun. I, I want to get you to follow some of the same people that I've been looking at their stuff. I think you'll like it. All right, it looks like we might have a caller, so I'm not sure if it's somebody wants to participate or if they're just listening in, so I'll try to put them on. And if they don't want to join us, they can just stay silent, and I will not disconnect them. Hi, caller, are you there? Hello. All right. Now we know. They want to stay (laughs) silent. I can respect that. (laughs) Me too. They may just be calling to listen in, and sometimes people do that, and I don't realize it, and then I have to make them hang up, or or I disconnect them when it's an accident. So we're just going to leave that person on because that's obviously what they want to do is just listen. Okay. Okay, Let's get back to what our top – oh, they hung up. Maybe that wasn't it. Maybe they'll call back if they have a question. All right, let's get going here, 13 minutes into the show. Let's start what we're really supposed to talk about tonight. Tonight we're on Level 7, which, again, if you've not listened to our previous uh, seven shows, you might be a little bit lost with this topic, but we are talking about all of the baby steps that it takes to teach toddlers how to talk, and that begins with learning how to imitate. And we went way back to the beginning at level one and talked about learning how to imitate with objects, actions with objects, and we walked you through teaching a child how to use communicative gestures. And for lots of children, that means imitating just big body movements at first and then those prerequisite early gestures like clapping and pointing and waving. And then we talked about how we transition that into sign language. And then we went to level three, which is using or imitating nonverbal actions with your face and mouth. And then we talked about level four, which are vocalizations, and those are early play sounds. And even maybe things that aren't real words, like a car noise, like or a cough or a sneeze or a yawn or just something where you're vocalizing, but it's not really a word. And then we bumped up to level five, which are exclamatory words like yay and woohoo and uh-oh and wee and all of the earliest kinds of words that we hear from lots and lots of children, especially late talkers. Last week we talked about level six, and this was developing automatic speech and verbal routines. This is when a kid just pops out a word because it's related in context, and we all use these kinds of things like ready, set, and then a child fills in go, or uh, maybe filling in the in the last line or the last word or two in a really familiar song. You know, after a child has heard Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, a lot of times we can sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little, and the kid says star. Even if he's never used that word in another context, this verbal routine level is really important for a lot of kids to get them in the habit of talking. And, again, sometimes they fill in that little word before they even 
doesn't mean to. It's al- it's almost not conscious. Sometimes, and I saw a little girl like this uh, yesterday. It's a new little friend of mine that I'm seeing who's very likely on the spectrum. And every time I said, are you ready, she immediately said, set, go. Like, I know that one. <laughs> it was out of context, but I was happy that she was talking and trying and trying to get her words in there. And I thought, gosh, that's just such a good example of how automatic speech works. We really can train those words to, again, pop out. We want children to use them in the correct context, but, again, that's a a step in the right direction and a precursor to moving toward what we're talking about tonight, which is imitating functional, meaning words that they use all the time, single words, so just early words that a, a toddler might start to use. And teaching a child to imitate words is it comes before they're able to spontaneously say them. And how many times, Kate, do adults make the mistake of hearing a child imitate a word once or twice and then they think that the kid knows that word well enough to be able to answer a question like, tell Grandma what new word you said today. (laughs) Or, (laughs) you know, something else that's completely to the kid unrelated. You know, just because he imitated it last Tuesday doesn't mean that he can automatically, spontaneously name that toy or that food or that picture again on Saturday and a parent gets really kind of upset about that and says, gosh, I thought he knew that word and now he doesn't, when we haven't done a good enough job of teaching that children often have to imitate a word a lot before they begin to say and use that word spontaneously. So we don't need to forget that. It also brings up uh, an issue that happens a lot with parents, and I bet you've seen this too, Kate, where a, a parent might say, well, you used to say so-and-so, or you used to say bubble. He said that a couple of times, but I've not heard it again. And when you really question a parent, he's just imitated that word maybe randomly a couple of times, and then mom has really expected him to be able to use that word again on his own, not as many prompts or as many cues from her, and she's disappointed that he can't seem to say that word on his own. Have you run into that? I have, yes. And so it's so important that we that we remember what a big role imitation plays in teaching kids to talk, and certainly with our late talkers. And we know if we have a two-year-old who's not learned how to imitate words yet, He's a late talker, and he's going to need more time and more effort and stay at this imitation phrase probably a lot longer than you would even think he would because his system is not working in the same way as a kid with with typical language development. He's either delayed, meaning that the, the skills are all coming in in the right order, but they're just really late, the timing is off, or he may be disordered, meaning that his skills are coming in in really unexpected patterns or unexpected ways. And certainly for those kids, we have to spend a lot of time in imitation and a lot of time in teaching them really how to copy and how to repeat what we say. It's a huge, huge skill. It's often overlooked. Sometimes even in these other really common or uh, common's not the right word, really um, touted, what am I trying to say, recognized approaches Sometimes people or experts say they really want you to wait and listen, observe, wait and listen, 
a lot and not really do a lot of direct modeling for late talkers. They're waiting on the late talker to just pop out the word. And I, I think for a lot of kids that's a mistake when you're not really providing that verbal model and that prompt. And sometimes the therapist will come up to me at the end of the conference and say, I noticed that when I saw all the therapy clips of you doing therapy with the kids and when I watched your DVDs, you really you really tell kids what to say and what to do a lot. You really say, tell me. You really say, say it. You really are giving them a lot of instructions to follow. And I say, yeah, that's what therapy is. <laughs> I want to get the most bang for my buck here. I'm not just kind of waiting around for things to happen. We're going to make it happen. Not that you can really make a kid talk, but do you know what I'm trying to say here, Kate? Yes, and I, I mean, I can't even imagine trying to do therapy that way because I think so many of our kids would say virtually nothing in an hour. Right. I mean, I can't imagine hour after hour of being the provider and having a day like that. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know I would feel like you feel. That is not the most effective use of an hour. When that's how long you are with a kid, you really got to go in and hit the ground running and get the best session you can get and sitting and waiting for these kids, I mean, most parents will tell you, they can go a really long time and not say words. You know, right. sometimes uh, never say words. So Right. Yeah. I'm, and so, I'm, yeah, and I think ahead. that when, I think wait time is important when you're really waiting on a response and when you're, when you've modeled a word. And I totally, totally support and believe in giving a kid time to respond. And sometimes I do think we can over-talk in a session so that a kid can't get a word in edgewise <laughs> because we're doing all the talking. I'm not I'm not really talking about examples like that. I'm talking about when we have no when we place no demands and have no expectations that a child will be able to imitate what we've done. It really sets it up for the child to continue to not respond. I saw a mom on Friday, and he's I'm seeing this kid privately, and he's seeing another therapist through our state early intervention program, and she was saying, gosh, Laura, today I really noticed a big difference. I really noticed that you're really waiting more and letting him fill in more. And I've been talking with her about withholding a little bit and sabotage, and I was trying to give her all that because she's really concerned that she wants her little boy to – initiate more and so that's the context we were talking about how to set that up and how to present that and how that looks so I was doing a whole lot of modeling so mom could see me do that where I'm sitting there with a toy that I know he wants and that I know he can say because you know this is the fifth time I've seen him maybe and this is a little boy that is just a star he's just the dream kid to see he's just done so well and so, you know, I was just sitting there kind of, and I call it making eyes at him, where I'm, you know, making my eyes really twinkly and sparkly like, come on, say it, but I'm not really providing the model. And it worked. I mean, I wish we had videoed that session because it worked so well. He really rose to the challenge. And he said so much more spontaneously than I've And he's done great for me. He's had great sessions for me up until now. But, boy, did I get the spontaneous stuff because I waited him out. But that's totally different because he's been imitating well for a couple of months now. It's time for me to wait on him and give him 
fewer cues and fewer prompts because he really knows these words now. But in the very beginning, you really do have to set it up where you tell them what to say and the kid says it and then he gets what he wants and then you start immediately over with the next word or the same word where you're really prompting and cueing those words and you're not just hoping that he will imitate you. Right. And I do definitely think sometimes I am guilty of too much talking, too much cueing, that sort of thing. And I do, when I become aware of it in a specific session, sometimes I remind my, and I'll even, I usually remind parents at the same time because I'm reminding myself, give them a minute, give them a minute, Mm -hmm. slow down, wait for him. Um, And when you do, a lot of times, you know, some of, a lot of our kids, Sometimes it is kind of the process of they've got to get it all right, clicking through their brains right, and eventually, yeah. boom, it comes out. But if we're moving so fast and we're so keyed up and, and kind of leading, 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 sometimes if you don't stop and wait, you don't get the response that you would get if you just waited a little. But mm-hmm. to go into a session with a kid who's pretty nonverbal and say virtually nothing just seems kind of ridiculous to me. I don't. It doesn't totally. make sense. It's a big waste of time, and er- that's everybody's time. That's the kid's time, the parent's time, your time. Mm-hmm. You know, for a kid who's nonverbal, that waiting, waiting, waiting does not work. So you have to really get to the get them to this point. And because we're talking about this process, you would never. I mean, you're not going to be working on lots of single words unless you've heard unless you know a kid is ready and again if you're using this specific approach you already know that he can imitate actions you know that he can imitate signs you've heard him imitate vocalizations with the little play sounds with animal noises and those little exclamatory words like we and whoa and uh oh and yay you've heard all those words or else you wouldn't be waiting and that's the other thing when you get a kid who's done all that and then you get to single words and all of a sudden you just sit there like okay you talk to me a lot of times that's not going to happen you've got to still use the same kind of cues the same kind of modeling and really push through the other thing that you need to do is be really really careful about which words you select for them to say because if you would never start off or at this level at level seven with words that are too complex phonetically or phonologically you you know you're really going to pick your words for late talkers that they have a pretty good uh, chance of being able to say and I know we've talked about this before Kate and you say that you don't do this as much as I think you really do (laughs) because I think when you look at kind of our common set of early words those are all easier words to say and they're high frequency words meaning that a kid has heard that a lot and they're easier to pronounce which is the second criteria for word selection with late talkers and again this is information from the new book and the third criteria is you're going to choose words with sounds that a kid can already say. And, again, that's not to say that you would never try to elicit a word with a new consonant sound or a new vowel sound. But in these early stages of really teaching single-word imitation, you do have to pay some attention to if you've heard a kid say a word with a certain sound before, um, that makes it more likely, not always, it's not always a shoe-in, it's not always 100%, but it makes it more likely than not that he'll be able to 
imitate the word and getting a kid to do multiple repetitions and have lots of success at this level is huge. I mean, a kid can virtually go from being fairly quiet, especially if you're just looking at true single words, not all those other prerequisite things, but a kid can go from being fairly quiet to really talking within a session or two if you use this criteria where you're selecting the right words that you know he has a pretty reasonable chance of being successful at producing, you can really turn it around for a kid within a session or two if if you've gotten really good at what you do. <laughs> and again it's not it depends on the severity of the kid too. If a kid has significant challenges, whether that be matter planning or phonological, or whether it be way back at, you know, oh, he's still working on social stuff, or wow, he doesn't understand very much language. Those kids are not going to be as successful here, because truth be told, they're not ready developmentally for this level. But if you really walk a kid through this process, and you're doing it right, you should be successful more times than you're not, because you've already laid the groundwork, and the kids are really ready by the time you get here. Well, Laura, I think that's one of the best things about you writing the books and doing the DVDs and your new facet of your career is that now I understand the theory of what I've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) You did it backwards. All I really knew was, hey, Laura does it and it works, so I'm going to go for it and do what she does. And I didn't always understand the theory and seriously, like when I was watching the therapy tip of the week with, the, you know, how to work it through all the levels, I was thinking, I've done that, but I didn't really understand why I was doing it. Now I know. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I was thinking, okay, that makes perfect sense. You were sense. so and darn I'm... honest. You were just really honest. You just lay it out there, don't you? Well, I just, you know, I just went with it because I knew it worked. So I figured right. who am I to question it? I'll give it a whirl. And it has. And, you know, over the years you've told me a lot and she taught me a lot. And, uh, hey, you know, I do have a master's degree, but I certainly didn't learn what I know in in grad school. So uh-huh. I take it where I can get it and it works and I get good results and parents and kids are happy, so, yeah. but There you go. It is kind of interesting after all these years to understand the theory. Like, I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I've been doing for 10, 15 years now. Yeah, a really long time. I just never knew exactly why. But see, that's the thing, and that's why parents can do this kind of thing and be successful, too. That's why a a parent could take that book and walk a kid through that or watch a DVD and get... Smidgens, uh, this is, I'm going to do it like this, and I don't really have to understand 100% of why it works. I'm just going to do it this way because it works. Right. And that is why I think, too, it's important as therapists that we really boil it down so that we can teach parents how to do it when we're not there. And that's a huge, huge, huge component of any pediatric therapist, especially those of us in birth to three programs that are doing home visits. We have to be able to to teach parents how to do it and in a way that makes sense to them. And I think this is, it's a thing that I hear all the time, even if I'm the fourth or fifth therapist to see a kid, and maybe not all of, the, all of those have been speech pathologists, but a lot of times the thing a parent will say to me is, you are the first person that talked to me and gave me information about my child 
that I feel like is very accurate and right on the money, but I still understand every single word you're telling me right now. And you really have to get to the point professionally where you can take all that theory and when you can take all that professional professional jargon and lingo and make it make sense to a parent and 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 talk to them about, okay, he's not ready to imitate words yet. We're still way back here at having him try to imitate anything, like a little sound in play or a silly word or, you know, that we would call our exclamatory words. And so it's just oh, gosh, it's just critical that we learn how to do that and that we teach them. And you don't have to teach a parent all the background theory. They don't care about that like we do. (laughs) You just Mm -hmm. have to say, here's why this is going to work in one or two sentences and then teach them how to follow through. And most of the time, especially if a parent has really thought out your services, and and taking the time to enroll their child in an early intervention program, they want to hear what you have to say. Now, some parents blow us off, but more often than not, they know there's a reason for you to be there or else they wouldn't have gone through that whole process and continue to open up their homes to you week after week. And so you do have to really boil it down to the level where they can follow through with what you've asked them to do. Well, and, Laura, that's one of the things I like about your professional um, approach, whether it be with your videos or books or, you know, re- re- uh, responses online or whatever, they're always very logical but, you know, easily understood. You don't use a ton of professional jargon. I mean, I know you use some and sometimes you have to, but yeah. it's always very kind of common sense and very logical and easily digested, and I think it appeals to pretty much everybody. You know, it's, it's yeah, and it does. I think there's a, just a huge place in this for even for therapists, because a lot of therapists will say, and oh gosh, I just remember the cutest girl that I met when I did a conference in Nashville this last May, and I've kind of got to be her friend on Facebook since then, so I know her now. And I'm not going to say her name because I never want to embarrass her. But she's so darling. I mean, she's just the kind of girl that's just so cute, and she lights up a room, and, you know, you would look at a whole group of women, and she would just stand out. And she came up to me at the end, and she said, I just love you because you talk like I do. You know, and she's very Southern, which kind of helps. She said, you talk like I do, and you always say what I'm thinking, and I really, really, really like that about you. And it's, I mean, I think it's appealing to therapists, too, because sometimes you really do go to these conferences and stuff where you read something and it's so academic. You want to say, where is the real life here? Have you even held a real baby? Would you even know what to do with a two-year-old? Can you sit on the living room floor of a trailer and be comfortable and be able to do what you're telling me to do? Do you even know how that correlates? And it's just really, really important that we know our stuff and that we can break it down so that parents really understand it and really get what we're trying to teach them to do and can really carry that over. Right. Well. All right. Our caller is back, so let's huh? try this again. Okay. Hi there. Hi. Did you have a question? Hi. Yes, I do have a question. <laughs> I keep hanging up on you. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I All right, uh, wrote go ahead. to you a while back, and I uh, thank you for your wonderful website. 
and how we heard our um, little guy's first spontaneous word, and then we went out and played snow at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you remember that. I oh, do yeah. remember that story, yeah. How's he doing? Oh, we're still struggling. Really? Still, yeah, he's kind of, he doesn't have much. That's kind of the only spontaneous word we've ever heard. Wow. But I was just curious. He copies a lot, and I don't because that's what you guys are talking about. And I was wondering, when does that become concerning? Like, how long is a child... I mean, we're concerned about a lot of things, but he's been stuck copying. Like, when does that cross over to echolalia? That's a hard word, isn't it? I struggle with that word. Every time I say it, I think, oh, God, please let it come out right. Echolalia. You know, really, this is when I tell parents to be concerned. You're more concerned about that if there are other red flags for autism. And so if there are other social concerns, if there are other, if he does other kind of stereotypic or self-stimulatory movements, like if he flaps his hands, if he holds toys right in front of his face, if he totally zones out to TV to the point that, you know, Kate will say a bomb could go off and he wouldn't respond, if receptive language is still a big challenge for him, if he's not really processing what he's saying, that that's when it's crossed over to echolalia. Or if he says things that don't fit in context, if he if he starts to really quote maybe a movie or a book or something that doesn't really fit, or it might almost fit, but it still sounds a little off. Like a lot of kids will say to their moms, hold you, hold you, hold you, when they want to be held because when they've cried in the past, mom has said, do you want me to hold you? So they've lifted that little part of that phrase or of mom's sentence out, and they're using it, but it's not quite right. And so when something feels a little off, that's how you know that it's kind of crossed the line and it's not the kind of imitation that you're really, really hoping for. So does he have some of, do you have some of those concerns about him? Kind of. Um, He sings, our big concern is he sings songs constantly. Yeah. Whole songs. When he's Uh playing or working in fine motor, things like playing with crayons and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. But not to us. Um, But then there's other times, I mean, he just copies what we say. Like, he has rote phrases that he's memorized, but he uses them pretty much close to the context they're supposed to be used in. Well, that's great, then. And see, and there's a whole variation, too, of, you know, and this is what I tell parents about that. I'll say, okay, it's not, his talking is not 100% on target what I would want, but guess what? That's a whole heck of a lot better than not talking at all. So we'll take it, you know, we'll take this echolalic stuff because it's totally better than him being nonverbal. And the good news is when kids are echolalic like that, they're telling you, I know how to talk. I can make these, I can produce these words. I can sequence these sounds so that you can understand them. But you just know as adults that our homework is helping them really link meaning and get them again, to the point that they're using it in context and able to use it spontaneously. So if let's talk about some of the things. What is he doing just with single words? How, how often does he ask for things he really wants? Could he walk into the kitchen and ask for a specific he, snack or a specific drink? No, he'll pull you or um, his speech 
pathologist has taught him like the give me sign, so he kind of motions for you to come in there, and right. then he'll he'll just point at the cupboard that has all of his food, and then you have to pull everything out one at a time, and then he yeah. kind of reacts. But he doesn't have any he doesn't really have any words that he actually says right uh, without any prompting. Right. And so he is pretty good, though, if you say, tell me milk, he'll say milk. Yeah. Well, if you're doing say, that, oh, or you want it... milk, and then he'll repeat milk. Okay. Does he repeat, you want milk, or does he just say milk? Just milk. Okay. You're going to want to keep doing that cause, and keep building imitation, but you're also really, really, really going to want to work on receptive language. Has, is he following a lot of directions for you? Um. It's kind of difficult. We don't um, split time with his mom. So right. he um, he does, but it's kind of hard to tell if he's just picking up on the visual cues. Right. Or Well, yeah. Like I if totally you hold know out fast and say, put this in the garbage, does he just know? Yeah. That's right. And so this is what you should really work to do is fade some of that visual stuff so that you're really giving him lots of commands and that you're going to know and lot having him follow a lot of directions so that you're going to be able to tease out what he understands and what he doesn't understand and what he can do with visual cues and supports. And you're not going to want to completely take that away from him, but you do need to know on some level what he's understanding and what he's not understanding so that you can help him get over that gap and so that you can help him link what he's saying, what he can imitate you saying to really, really understand it and be able to do it. And a lot of kids like this, because they're already talking and already imitating, a lot of parents and a lot of therapists really skip over working on comprehension and working on receptive language with as much focus as, as they should have. And so for your homework, if I were treating y'all, if you were mine on my caseload, <laughs> I would have you doing a lot of receptive language play so that when you're playing together, if you're doing a puzzle, you're saying, get the choo-choo and put it in. Get the bus and put it in. Give me the fire truck. Where's airplane? So that you're really figuring out and really in the context of play, putting your finger on what he understands and what he doesn't. Now, sometimes parents will say, well, he just doesn't like playing with, that way with me. Usually it's because he doesn't know to play with you that way and because oh, he, he doesn't really understand that, we do the that word. a lot. Okay. So do those kinds of things. What what other toys, what other things does he like to play? Uh, he likes to play with cars. Okay, so you're going to want to give a lot of directions with the cars. And, you know, if you're playing with a car with the garage, you're going to say, make it go down, you know, put it in the door. Have him, will he follow lots of those kinds of directions without visual cues in play? No, not at all. He, okay. Um, like he, so he's pretty, he needs visual cues and he waits for okay. them. It's almost like he's learned that that's how he's going to buy until he doesn't do he's anything. He's smart. Yeah, I'm not going to do it until you show me. Yeah, and so you've got to make it so fun and keep him so engaged with you during play that he kind of gets a kick out of it when he does it correctly. And what I do with those kinds of kids is if they're waiting on me, I still kind of wait them out a little bit. I don't completely remove the visual cues, but I start with things that are so easy and then I praise, praise, praise what they do, and then they really like that, you know, we've clapped and cheered and 
You know, woo-hoo. He doesn't like that. He doesn't? No, he doesn't respond to cheering very much at all. That's where mm. we struggle with trying to... Uh, Motivate him? Now, how are you cheering? Um, I mean, clapper. We've tried all variety of different things. We tried, uh, you know, tickle him because he likes that a lot, or put him up and down, swing him around. He just doesn't. And he's, he's not responding well, we, to any of that? Well, if we swing him around, that kind of pulls him out of the activity completely, and then he never wants yeah. to go back to it. Yeah, and I can only do that for so many times before my back and my arms are like, no more. <laughs> yeah. We've had a hard time trying to figure out a way to motivate him. Let me ask you this. How does he do just in uh, little social games that you guys do, like ride a little horsey or anything like that? How does he interact with you socially during those other kinds of things that don't involve toys? That's where he's at his best. Like he loves to be outside, run around, play like us with no objects. If there's no toys or objects around, that's when he makes good eye contact and he's very Uh engaged. It's when there's a distraction around, like a puzzle or that kind of thing that we most of Okay, so he hasn't really mastered joint attention. And by joint attention, I mean that he's paying attention to the toy and you, and he's looking between you and the toy and then back at you kind of for your response. So once you pull the toys out, he's kind of locked into the toy, right? Is that what you're telling me? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, what I would do then is you're really just going to have to interject yourself into that kind of play so that you are making yourself still part of what he's doing. Now, that might mean if he's doing a puzzle on the floor that you are going to, you know, lie down on your stomach and put your head right there (laughs) where the puzzle pieces go so that he is really looking at that. It might mean if you're playing bubbles together or balloons or something like that where you put him up on uh, maybe a coffee table or a couch so and that you put your face right at eye level with his and that, and that so that you are smiley and laughing and visually so exciting that you give him a reason to look at you and not mm-hmm. kind of zone out to the toy. Uh, Kate, do you have some ideas there? Is that what you were thinking? Is that what you would say, too? Yeah, you know, I'm working with a little guy that sounds... I, how old's your son? He's almost three. Almost three. And this guy is, too. And he's very much sounds a lot like the way you describe your son with kind of the... You know, first we had to kind of, I had to kind of teach him to like toys, better and to play more functionally, which he is doing. Um, But he, too, can get kind of shut down with the toys socially. You know, he gets very locked into the activity. And the thing that I have done with him is use movement because he always, just like your son, when you get him moving, when you get him jumping, we, we play tag a lot. And I really, when I see him really shutting down that's when i say oh we need to go let's go and he's learned ready set go and we just run down the hall and smash into the door and run back and that always really kind of gets his social motor going and he cut and then we can go back certain activities seem to bring that out even worse and I, he likes puzzles and pu- puzzles are you know he's pretty good at them but that's one that he really gets shut down with um, and in general with those kids, I think you do better if you really, really, really control whatever it is you're playing with and so that kind of part of the the uh, exchange is 
he has to stay with you a little better. Like if you give them the cars and they've got the cars and they can lay on their bellies and watch the cars, you're pretty much out of that equation. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's, yeah. You're done. Yeah, you really, I mean, the things that work best, I think, are the things that you really you have a bag full of it. They get one, you get it back. They get another one, you get it back so that they know mm, the social exchange is a necessary part of the of the play experience, and they stay with you better when that's the deal. If you allow them to get what it is they want and then just play with it, sometimes that means they're kind of done dealing with you. So those are my contributions for what works. You know, things that um, they still need you for as far as play because for whatever reason they're not able to play functionally with it are always good in in that uh, instance because they know they still need you. And I'm trying to think. One of my things is when I do balloons, I use a blower, just a little $3 Walmart blow-up thing. And kids tend to, I know, Laura, you blow with your mouth. I'm, I'm too lazy. I blow with the <laughs> blower. But um, they like it, but they can't usually, I mean, I've had only a couple kids in years and years of using those blowers be able to do it. And so that means they really have to come back to you. They really have to ask in some capacity for help. They, you know, they know I, I want to do it myself, but I can't do it myself. So those things, I guess I'm saying when you're trying to engage him more fully during play, choose your your uh, things wisely and choose things that, by definition, keep you at part of the exchange. Like I said, balloon blowing, you know, things like cars and choo-choos. Yeah, kids love them, but a lot of times when they get them, when they have this tendency in the first place, they're done dealing with you. Mm-hmm. That's and, cool. you, you know, you want to build things in that mean he needs and wants, for whatever reason, to continue to have the exchange, communicative exchanges with you. Wind-up toys work really well for this kind of thing because kids can hardly ever do the little wind-up things. you know what I'm talking about with mm-hmm. those toys? Yeah, that's a good one to try. Um Anything that he can't really fully do by himself. I have this set of Hot Wheels motorcycles launcher. Kate, you have that toy too. Kids can never really pull it on their own. Right. They have to. Can't really have get some the motorcycles in. Can't right. really pull it, but they love it because it has that right. you know vehicle thing that all little boys love. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's another great example, Laura. And they know. Uh, at least pretty quickly once they played with it a time or two, yeah, I've got to keep my mom in the loop or I can't play with this. So it mm. kind of necessitates that they still are engaging with you and those kinds yeah. of activities. And I do think you should continue. Normally I can get most kids to respond to the yay. Um, does he, Does high five do anything for him? Some kids respond to that. He, um Kind of like he does a high five, but he doesn't look at you. Just puts his hands up, says five, and then he doesn't get any yeah. enjoyment out of it. Okay. Yeah, and with kids like yeah. that, you really just have to keep trying and keep at it. You almost have to train them to like it. And mm-hmm. train. I yeah. know people don't really like it when I say that word, <laughs> but it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you have to just keep doing it enough and make sure you whatever he likes about that or whatever he doesn't like 
about it that you're doing. Sometimes kids have auditory sensitivity, so they're too sensitive when the, it's too loud. So for some of those kids, you have to, you know, do yay, but it's quieter, not as high pitched. For some kids, you have to go so over the top before you would get any kind of response. So I would just keep trying, and I would ask your therapist about that too. Ask her yeah, what I seems this helpful because she's actually having us do that, but she never explained why she, I mean, that's what she worked on with him during his appointment, and she's kind of talked about making sure we make eye contact and doing joint attention when he's playing with toys. She just never explained it this way as to why, that's why he's stuck in, not necessarily stuck, but in the imitation isn't progressing very well because he's right. still back there at that stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. And so receptive language. You ordered the DVDs, didn't you? Yes. Did you order? I want you to watch, listen, and obey too again, and those kinds of things. And I think there's even some of the stuff on listen and obey one, but in listen and obey two, where I'm playing with the kids, but I'm really having them follow directions. And then what you're going to want to do is, if you say, "Put the man in, put him in, in the truck, in, in, in," and if he doesn't do it after a few times, then you need to take his hand and help him do it. And again, some parents are reluctant to do that because they feel like they're directing them too much, but you've got to get it established that you're going to play with him and that you want him to really stay with you and you want to really make sure that he's understanding language and that he doesn't just check out and shut down. And you can do it in a way that's that's fun for toddlers. I hardly ever have a kid really get mad at me about that. I mean, that's hap- that hasn't happened in years with a kid who was really developmentally ready for that kind of thing. And it sounds like, you know, he's going to get there, but you might have to be a little bit more insistent with you're going to be part of that play and you're going to play together and you're going to be able to direct it sometimes. And, again, I don't think this is all about behavior. I mean, there's some there's some sensory processing things in here as well. You know, he's probably pretty visual in that he gets kind of hooked into what he's playing. But there's a big receptive language or a big comprehension deficit going on, too, with him. Um, by our CDS. He was just tested by our CDS office, and they found him above average for his receptive language. Okay. Well, then it's a sensory issue. And if he's above average for receptive language and if and he I didn't just I, somehow fake them out in that test. <laughs> I'm not sure then, if that test was accurate or not, but that okay. kind of surprised us, too, that they found that, but. Does he have a lot of splinter skills? Like, can he do colors and shapes and those yeah, kinds of can, things? He knows all okay. of his colors. All right, well, this is what happened. He faked them out, and they gave him <laughs> a lot of credit for those higher-level things that he doesn't, and then when he's got some lower-level skills that he's not consistent with. So it's your job now to go back and fill in those gaps. And I promise when you work on receptive language, when you work on making sure that he understands what he's doing, and you have to back so far up that sometimes therapists think, well, gosh, he's he, he can follow a one-step command, but if he's not doing it consistently, you can't really give him credit for that. And like you've already identified, he only does it if there's a visual cue. So you've got to really back way up so that he's really following those kinds of directions for you when you know he understands like the noun that you're using and you know he understands the verb that you're using, you've got to get him to follow those kinds of directions. And, again, don't 
fall for <laughs> surely he understands this because he can do all this zany brainy stuff that's a you know a three and a half year old skill unless he's really following those directions consistently in play with you he's not really at that level receptively and again i haven't seen him this is just my best guess Mm -hmm. but just kind of going by what you've said about him and the hundreds of kids that i've treated like this (laughs) that's where it seems to me to be is this um if you saw a child like this in your practice would you be concerned about autism i mean i know Uh you haven't seen him but is this yes i would be very concerned Mm -hmm. i would be very concerned about autism very concerned because what you've talked about i mean he's he's exhibiting those core deficits he's not always processing language he uh, he can say more than he really understands and again i'm basing that on real life stuff from what you've told me not from what mm-hmm. the test and that's said. definitely the case yeah right and you know he's got the social issues he's not as connected in play as you would like for him to be now if you give him the right input meaning you're running and jumping and screaming and having a good time he's pretty connected but he lacks that joint attention piece and that reciprocity meaning that he's in back and forth exchanges with you while you're playing together it doesn't sound like that's happening it sounds like he gets pretty shut down and hyper focused on what he's doing rather than including another person there and then how you're describing a lot of his language sounds pretty echolalic and so when you start looking at all of these things together again i haven't seen him and certainly can't pretend to diagnose a kid on the phone call right but i would be well, concerned per- just based on what you're saying yeah as a what's that concern as well his speech therapist has that concern as well mm-hmm. and has brought it up to us too mm-hmm. and so what and are you recommending under, um well he's being evaluated um he's having an ados test hopefully he'll get in yeah. this month we live northern Maine, so the services up here are very limited and hard to get. So we're going to let's go out the stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I would be concerned. And, again, you know, they're redoing. The, it's not stereotypical yeah. autism. Right. It's not like he has right. repetitive behaviors and you see him smile and laugh. Right. And, well, this is what I was about to say. They're redoing the criteria or think or it's a proposed for 2013 for autism to take out some of those things that we have routinely thought about children who are on the spectrum. And one of the biggest myths about children who are on the autism spectrum is that they don't connect with people. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. Sometimes our kids, our little clients and our our kids, our own kids that we love with autism are almost hyper-connected to a parent or a caregiver because they don't really have social relationships beyond that. And you do see lots of joy and lots of engagement when you are doing physical things or things that they really, really like. So it's a big myth and a big misconception that children who are on the spectrum don't have periodic uh, episodes where they're pretty connected and look happy and are enjoying things. And so that's, I think, one of the biggest changes about the new definition for autism is that it will say, you know, look at social connectedness beyond a kid's family members because uh, many, many, many children who are on the spectrum are, are pretty connected to their families. And it really makes the criteria less... Well, it just makes it easier to understand, I think, for um, 
everybody, you know, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this a lot, that the diagnosis of autism is pretty subjective. One person might say yes, and then the next professional down the road sees him on a different day, a different time, a different set of circumstances, and they might say he's got some quirks, but he doesn't make the full uh, diagnostic definition. And so there is some variability there, and I'm hoping with this new way of diagnosing that it takes some of that out and that we really address some of the myths because it really is not true that a kid who, um, I mean, a kid can still be on the spectrum and still have those times of social engagement, particularly with his own parents. Kate, did you want to add anything to that? Well, just when she was talking about some of his behavioral stuff, the way you said he'll lead you to the kitchen, takes your hand and takes you in there, I will say I've seen a lot of kids on the spectrum, and that is what they tend to do as opposed to pointing. um, He points to, that's kind of why he's been about, he had a full evaluation, they um, they said he has some quirks, but he doesn't meet the full criteria right now. Yeah, yeah. And then they wanted to reevaluate him in three months. But, yeah, all right. Well, thank you for your help, and that made a lot of sense. Um, okay, good. As to why he is kind of stuck in there, because he's still far back in social. Yeah, stuff. I mean, and he's gotten, he's got his verbal is ahead, his expressive is ahead, yeah. his receptive and his social. And, you know, that's a strength for him. You know, and a lot of parents will say, he's a late talker. How can you say it's his strength? Because it's above where he is with other areas of mm-hmm. communication. And so, if, again, it's you'll be able to use that eventually. <laughs> yeah. But for right now, you need to really work on the social stuff and the receptive language stuff because that's, you know, your job is to really fill in the gaps. And um, Teach Me to uh, Listen and Obey too will really help you with that. So rewatch that DVD and mm-hmm. look at how I'm really directing play in a fun kind of way so that you have it start to follow your directions. Yep, that sounds great. I think we just got distracted, yeah, like you said, because it's talking started getting more advanced, so we kind of lost sight of all the other stuff. I know, and, and it's easy. easy. To do. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to do. I see therapists do kinda, it all the time. Yes. Yeah. But when you look at, okay, where is he really... Mm, it comes down to, well, where are the receptive skills? Because normally that is who you see repeating things but not really using words spontaneously like that, you know. Yeah. And I hate that he faked out those evaluators where he got a good score on receptive language because a lot of times people will just look at that stuff that when a kid can do ABCs and colors and shapes and they just start giving them all these really advanced scores without looking at how a kid really functions. And sometimes our little friends who may go on to be diagnosed with autism do better on a test when it's pictures than they ever do in real life. Mm-hmm. And I hate that because their scores are often inflated, and sometimes they don't even qualify for services when they desperately need it. And I think if you would have played with that kid for 10 minutes, you would have seen <laughs> that he really needs services. Yeah, and up mm-hmm. here you have to have uh, they have to qualify through CDS to get services because they don't have very much stuff um, offered privately, especially in preschools and that kind of stuff. So we are very disappointed. Yeah, well, you know, what that just tells you is that a lot of this is going to fall to you. But you've done the right stuff. You've gotten some tools. You know, watch the DVD again and figure out, okay, how can I get him to do this? 
you've gotten him in therapy, you know, so you are doing what you you're doing everything you can do. You just got to know, boy, I'm going to be the bulk of his therapy. I'm going to be the bulk of his intervention and and just keep at it. And I know it feels hard and you I can hear in your voice that you feel discouraged. But just work. Like, yeah, well, cuz our time yeah. with him is so limited too. We only have him so many days right. and so that also. And that's a big challenge. And I think that you shared with me before you may not want me to say this out loud. I probably shouldn't, but you could tell I'm going to anyway <laughs> that um you might not even get a lot of buy-in on the other set of parents who are with him the other part of the time. And that just means that when you have him, you have to really, really stay focused on what your goals are and that you're pouring that (laughs) therapy time from you and, you know, really making the most of your time with him because he really, really needs you. He really needs you. Well, I appreciate you answering my questions. It's been really helpful. Okay, great. And feel free to email me um, if you need other specific stuff. Okay? Yes. Thank you so much. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thanks for calling. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's what happens a lot, isn't it, Kate? Everybody gets so excited about the words that you forget about the social stuff and the receptive stuff that has to come first. And the worst part of that whole thing, and you know what I'm going to say, is that he faked somebody out. Mm-hmm. On a recept on a test, and we have how many times have we seen that happen when our kids leave our program and go to the public school system? They say a few little holistic phrases that they've heard over and over, and they start you know popping out you know counting or something like that, and the therapist just completely dismisses their need for communication. You know, they don't get speech therapy anymore. They might still qualify I, for preschool, and they'll qualify him on something silly, like he's not potty trained, so he doesn't get – his self-help is knocked down. <laughs> and I'm glad they still get to go to preschool, but I cannot believe that a three-year-old can outsmart an adult <laughs> who has a master's degree in speech pathology, but it happens. It happens all the time. It's pretty common, and I will, like Laura, like you said – I do think that part of it is um, the nature of the tests that are, are administered are these highly visual, right. not particularly social exchanges in the first place, and these tend right. to be areas that these kids are are very proficient and excel in, and so they right. do, in a very short snippet, contrived situation that's highly visual, they look really pretty good, and I think a lot of times, like you said, because they have these these elevated splinter skills, people assume, well, he has all this, so he must have all this stuff that that comes before it, and sometimes yeah. that is just not the case. Not the case at all. They'll say, well, surely he could put the, you know, he just didn't want to put the block yeah, in the cup. Yeah, he can do that, right? Right, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I read another conversation about this with um, a therapist was going to discharge a little boy because he was doing so well with her on her iPad in therapy. And the mm. mom is saying, but he can't do anything at home unless it's on the iPad. Mm. You know, ha- he can't follow any directions. He he doesn't uh, he does not pay attention to me when I'm talking to him. He can't do anything that I'm asking him to do. And she says he doesn't need speech anymore because he plays the darn iPad with her. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to take the iPad and 
bop her in the head with it when I hear that <laughs> and think, maybe I can knock some sense into you. Because you've got to look at where kids really, really function. You cannot get faked out. And that's not to say that you can't use a kid's strengths, and there's a place for all that technology. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use all that. I'm just saying you cannot be fooled by splinter skills. And that happens, and I hope anybody that's listened to the show, that that will be their takeaway advice. Don't be fooled by splinter skills. You've still got to look at where a kid is socially and receptively and look at his really look at his comprehension and not with a darn test with pictures and with whatever computer game you're using go with real life how will he follow directions when he plays with you with toys and wasn't that interesting that that mom said he scored above on receptive language but she could not give him any directions during play that he will follow mm-hmm. how's that possible <laughs> that's crazy yeah, That's crazy I, talk. I don't really buy it. I mean, but we've seen it happen. I know we've I shared know. kids, Laura, that who presented very much this way and right. they too slipped through the cracks and got higher language scores than they should have. Right, and I've happened. gone to the IEP meeting myself and said, and the therapist just kind of sits here and shrugs and looks like deer in the headlights, like, oh, I don't know what to say. I already said he didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's um, it's really, really sad when that happens. I hope that that mom can really take a step back and almost redirect even her speech therapist that's working with him. But it sounds like the therapist that's working with him is working on the right stuff, that she's still talking a lot about that social piece and um, him staying with her and that joint attention piece. And uh, I read an interesting thing today that I was going to say, but then I thought, oh, don't throw research in the middle of this conversation with this mom. Typically developing children have 224 episodes of joint attention in an hour. Wow. <laughs> At Let's see, what's the age on this? Let me see if I can find it. I think they're just doing birth to three, so I don't, I don't have a specific age right that on what this particular thing and I read. 244 episodes of joint attention in an hour. Mm. And my, our kids, sometimes if I got 20, I would think I was the best therapist that ever lived. You know <laughs> what I mean? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that just joint attention is huge. And joint attention is a, a three-step process. They're looking at you, they're looking at the toy, and guess what? Then they're looking back at you. And so it's that three-step process, and a lot of people just think, oh, he looks at me one time. He made eye contact. He has joint attention. It is not the same thing. All right, I could talk forever about this, but we're 10 minutes over, so we're going to call it a day. Okay. We, we didn't really spend as much time as I thought we were going to on this topic. I don't know if we're going to continue it or if we're just going to move on next week with imitating single words and phrases. It's all from the book Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. If you were feeling like you didn't hear what you wanted to hear, buy the book. You can read about it yourself in the book. So maybe well, and there's no way we could ever do the book justice because it has lots and lots and lots of information in it. So there's plenty of reason to buy it. And Laura, there you get. Go ahead. Say? Mm, I can't remember what it was. I guess it wasn't important. Oh, you'll remember it after we get off the show, I'm sure. I do want to say one more thing. That's happy birthday to you. That big oh, birthday tomorrow. Oh, you 
just had to do that, didn't you? I wondered if at the beginning you would feel like, oh, I can't believe she didn't mention my birthday. I was saving it for the end. Shall I sing you off with a song? No, I think not. This is the big five zero for me. I'm really not all that thrilled about it. So Johnny's saying, don't sing it. It's copyrighted. We might have to pay some royalties, so I will okay. not sing to you. But I will tell you happy birthday, and I hope it's a wonderful day. And you should get a little package from me in the mail. Oh, yay, fun. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye. <laughs>